Lord, where would, where would we be without your mercy? We would be still lost, still under judgment, heading for the hell that we deserve for our sin. And you intervened on our behalf. You showed us mercy when we could never have deserved it. And you suffered and died to purchase us for yourself. And now goodness and your mercy follow us all the days of our life. And we can go to your throne of grace and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need, Lord. We live in this ocean of mercy and grace that you have provided uh, at great cost to yourself. And so we're thankful this morning. And I pray for anyone here who has never cried out for your mercy, never experienced your saving, forgiving mercy. And uh, Lord, that even today, they would come to know you and trust you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, as we open your word now, just thinking of the verse that says, no man can receive anything unless it has been revealed from heaven. And so, Lord, we can't understand your word. We can't welcome your word. We can't embrace it by faith or follow it by faith unless you give it as a gift. And so we just acknowledge that up front, Lord. We are needing you to work in us and among us as we look at your word together. In Christ's name, amen. Though it's been a while, some of you might remember the wristbands that had the letters WWJD. The letters stood for What Would Jesus Do? And the idea of asking what would Jesus do in this particular situation and the theme uh, of following the example of Jesus comes from a book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. That title and that theme are part of our text for this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our study in this New Testament letter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look first at following Christ as our example. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So this first phrase is connected to the verse um, before it or the previous paragraph before it. Peter has just told us to be ready for the possibility of suffering unjustly, that we might experience negative consequences even when we do what's right. And now he reminds us that that's all part of our calling as followers of Jesus, who is the ultimate example of undeserved suffering. Jesus was mistreated, and he has left us an example to follow when we are mistreated. Romans 8.29 reminds us that God's purpose for all of his children is that we be conformed to the image of his Son, In Luke 6.40, Jesus said, A disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. 
Sanctification is the process of becoming less and less like we were before we knew Christ and becoming more and more like Christ. And one of the ways we are to become like Christ is following example in the way we respond to unjust treatment. Peter starts off with what Jesus did not do when he was mistreated. Verse 22 says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus never committed sin. He was absolutely innocent of any wrongdoing. And even when he was treated harshly and unfairly, he never sinned in thought, word, or deed. Verse 23, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. To revile is to make an abusive attack prompted by anger or hatred. And so even when he was falsely accused at his trials, even when he was being verbally abused by mockers at the cross, Jesus never spoke badly in return. He never uttered any threats of retaliation even as he endured the horrific suffering of the cross. So when Jesus was treated wrongly, he did not sin, he did not speak harshly, he did not threaten. Instead, the rest of verse 23 says, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. To entrust means to turn something over to someone for safe keeping. Entrust implies committing with trust and confidence. So when you get a sitter, you're entrusting your kids to their care for the evening. There's a confidence level that they will be safe with this person. And here Jesus entrusts himself to God, the righteous judge, knowing his father would set everything right at the proper time. And it's similar to the instructions we read in Romans 12, if you want to turn to Romans 12. Beginning at verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So all accounts will be settled with perfect justice. If the person who wronged us is or becomes a Christian, their wrongdoing was paid on the cross. If the person who wronged us is and remains an unbeliever, they will pay the just consequences of their sin in hell. But either way, it's not our business to get revenge or pay them back in any way. We are to entrust ourselves and the other person to God who judges righteously. Our job is to do what's right and trust that God will see that we come out right. Well, it should be pretty obvious that all of us fall short in following Jesus' example. And if you're here this morning hoping that following his example or following his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount or trying to be 
like him in some way, is going to earn you God's acceptance, uh, you would be in big trouble because it just does not happen that way. It doesn't work that way. We need more than an example. So if you're drowning in the ocean and an Olympic swimmer comes by and says, here, watch me, just do the side stroke like this for the next 20 miles and you'll be okay, that isn't going to help you. You need him to actually rescue you from drowning and bring you safely all the way to shore. So, asterisk, Ephesians 2.1 says we're already dead. We're already at the bottom of the ocean. That's a different time for that one. This illustration is simply to say we need more than examples. <laughs> we need Jesus to be more than our example. And so we'll look next at trusting Jesus as our Savior Back in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. This language of substitution is borrowed from Isaiah 53. And I'd invite you to turn to that Old Testament prophet, Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Then down in 11... As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. And so you just see this back and forth. We're the ones who had griefs and sorrows. Jesus bore them. We had transgressions. Jesus bears them. We had iniquities, but the Lord caused the full weight of those iniquities of ours to fall on him. We had sins, but Jesus Bore them. So God puts all of our sin on Jesus as though they belonged to Him so that He can now treat us as though they no longer belong to us. And so the hymn, it is well with my soul, the, the middle verse says, My sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. So Jesus is bearing it when He's nailed to the cross, so I'm no longer. Bearing it. And Peter tells us that Jesus bore our sins in his body. Celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, the bread represents his body that was broken on the cross. 
And it's literally, you might have a note or have the word tree or wood. So Peter seems to deliberately be referring to Deuteronomy 21, which the Apostle Paul also quotes in Galatians 3. So turn over to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 10. For as many are as of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, here's the quote from Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So we are justly under God's curse for failing to keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. That is the righteous judgment on lawbreakers. God's curse, his judgment, his wrath. But Jesus bears the curse we deserve for our disobedience and so that we are now redeemed or set free from that curse that used to be on us. So Charles Simeon, was a college student. He didn't know any other Christians at Cambridge University in England. He was not raised in a Christian home, but he had some concerns as he knew the Lord's Supper was going to be coming up on Sunday. He was fearful that he might be taking it as a hypocrite, an unbelieving hypocrite. And so he says, as I was reading, I met with an expression to this effect, that the Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. The thought came into my mind, what? May I transfer all my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on his head? Then God willing, I will not bear them on my own soul one moment longer. Accordingly, I sought to lay my sins upon the sacred head of Jesus. And he says, peace flowed in rich abundance into my soul. And at the Lord's table, I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. So you see that picture? I'm bearing my sin. He's crushed by it. He's like, if I take the Lord's Supper, I might be condemned for that. And now it's, no, I can cast my sin on Jesus. He'll bear it and take it away. And now I can have sweet access to God through Jesus. Peter tells us that one of the intended outcomes of Jesus bearing our sins, this is the rest of verse 24 now, is so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. So very similar language to what we see in Romans 6. If you want to turn back to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Pick up 
beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And then verse 11, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so both texts, 1 Peter 2 and Romans 6, are reminding us forgiveness of our sins doesn't mean sin doesn't matter. Like it's no big deal. It's forgiven. We're called to make a decisive break from the way we used to live when we were still in darkness. And the reason he attaches to it is for or because, quoting from Isaiah 53, by his wounds you were healed. So what kind of healing is that talking about? Well, just this morning I had a conversation with someone and we were talking about physical healing and that the day will come in heaven when we'll have glorified bodies and we won't have sickness or weakness anymore. And that'll be great. And that, of course, was only possible because of the death of Jesus. But I think in this context, it's more referring to the healing of our souls for example, Psalm 41.4 says, Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. So yes, there's bodily healing, sometimes now, ultimately later, but this healing of our souls so that we are more and more dead to sin, more and more alive to God, living in the light instead of the darkness. Well, after writing about following Jesus as our example and trusting Jesus as our Savior, Peter talks about knowing Jesus as our shepherd. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 says this. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So here is another before and after picture that Peter uses in this chapter. Remember in verse 9, he says, before you used to be in darkness, now we're in his marvelous light. Verse 10, before you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy before, but now you have received mercy. So there's this back and forth. Remember what you were, now remember what you are now in Christ. And here he says, before we were all continually straying like wayward sheep. We were constantly going in the wrong paths. But now you have returned. So how did that return happen? Literal sheep are not able to find their way back when they get lost. And lost people are not able to find their way back to God. Matthew Henry wrote this, Here is the recovery of these by conversion, but are now returned. The word is passive and shows that the return of a sinner is the effect of divine grace. This return is from all their errors and wanderings to Christ, 
who is the true and careful shepherd that loves his sheep and laid down his life for them. So remember Luke 19.10, Jesus went to be the guest at the home of Zacchaeus. And at the end of that visit, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We're lost. We don't even always know we're lost. We certainly don't know the way back to God, let alone our trying to find our way back to God. Jesus seeks us, and he finds us, and he rescues us, and then after he's done that, he's brought us back, then he continues to watch over us and care for us as our shepherd. Later in chapter 5, Peter will call Jesus the chief shepherd. In Hebrews 13, Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep, and of course Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, if you want to go to that text. John chapter 10. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And then over in 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And, of course, this imagery of shepherd reminds most of us of the 23rd Psalm, where the Lord is our shepherd who provides all of our needs and protects us from all ultimate harm and guides us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So all that is involved in having Jesus as our shepherd and overseer or bishop or guardian of our souls. This is from Tony Reinke, who works with Desiring God. Christ is the all-sufficient shepherd who delivers his sheep. Sheep are defenseless. They cannot fight. They cannot run with much speed, and they have little foresight or sense of danger. Little do we appreciate the danger we face at every moment of life. All our attempts at self-preservation are laughably insufficient. The dangers we face far exceed our frail powers to defend ourselves. So it's providential that one of the songs that was picked by the worship team this week was He Will Hold Me Fast. Because you might remember the verse, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. Life is fearful. It's dangerous. There's the world and the flesh and the devil all enemies of our soul. How are we going to make it to the end and not make shipwreck? He will hold me fast. We talked about that in Sunday school. We'll renew that as we or, um, remind ourselves of that in the new covenant is I will put the fear of me in your heart so you will not turn away from me. I can't keep myself. I need a shepherd to keep me. I need a shepherd to keep my soul all the way to the end. 
So that's parentheses. Now back to Tony Renke. The good shepherd promises to watch over us and nothing less can tame our anxieties and insecurities. And then he quotes from John Newton. I am prone to puzzle myself about 20 things which are equally out of my power and equally unnecessary if the Lord be my shepherd. Get what he's saying there? I can worry about 20 things at a time and they're too much for me to handle anyway and it's unnecessary to worry about them anyway if I really believe Jesus is my shepherd. Well, as we close, do you know Jesus as your shepherd? Are you trusting him as your savior? And if God is convicting you that you don't have that kind of relationship with him, first of all, acknowledge, I am lost. I am like a sheep who has gone astray and cannot find my way back. Isaiah 53, 6, we already read, but let me read it again. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one of us has turned to his own way. So all of us are included. Every single person ever born except Jesus has left the right paths, namely God's path, and gone on the wrong path, namely the path of sin. And we didn't just do that accidentally, like, oh, we took this wrong turn. We weren't trying to, but oops, here we are. It's very deliberately, we chose the wrong path. We preferred our way to God's ways. And that's sin. Then we turn from going away from God, heading, turning back uh, our backs to Him, turn back to Him, and turn from thinking we can do anything to offset our sins. We've already seen this morning, we can't keep the law perfectly, 100% obedience, 100% of the time. None of us is anywhere close. We can't follow Jesus' example perfectly. We can't follow his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. We're doomed if we're putting our hope on, I'll try my best, I'll try hard to be a good person or be like Jesus or anything else we might attempt to think, I'll make it by something I can do. The Bible's very clear. By grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. You can't do it yourself. You can't work for it. It's a gift. And so we trust in Jesus as the only one who can rescue us. Believing his death on the cross, as we saw this morning, is the bearing of our sins as a substitute. Either he's going to bear our sins or we're going to bear our sins. Those are the only choices. And then we believe that Jesus rose again, showing that God had accepted his sacrifice as sufficient to take away the sins of all who put their faith in Jesus. Let me close with 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So reconcile means bring us back into a right relationship when there had been a break in the relationship, a conflict or a barrier in the relationship. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is Paul writing to a church. There's people in the church at Corinth. He needs to say, be reconciled with God. Make your peace with God. Get right with God. And that might be you this morning. And then he just wraps it up by saying, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you that you made a way for willful, stubborn rebels like us to be reconciled to you. That Jesus came to seek and rescue lost people like us. Or we would still be lost. I pray for anyone who's lost this morning. That they would have their eyes open to see the dangerous condition they're in. That their heart would be absolutely convicted. They can't do anything to fix that. They would put all their hope and trust in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to follow his example and trust in his mercy. Enable us to do what you call us to do. We're so thankful this morning, Lord, that Jesus is our shepherd. We can rest in him to take such good care of us all the way to the end. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing the song Shepherd as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper this morning.